Dear friends in Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our sermon text, Galatians chapter 2. But when I saw that they were not acting according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, If you, a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Dear friends, I felt the friendly fire of my wife Ellie's wrath. It's true, it happened. I felt it didn't feel good. Some of you may think she's not that great of a driver because there are some dents in um, one or two sides of her car. It has nothing to do with her driving. She's a pretty good driver. Uh, that was someone else, and she knows that person. And in fact, she had a right to be upset with that person, and it was right and good for me to just not talk and take the friendly fire, the righteous anger. Yeah, I'm the one who drove through Chicago all through college, countless times. I'm the one who had a vicar year and an extra teaching year out in California and dealt with all the crazy traffic out there. But apparently in my own driveway, worse things have happened, but not a whole lot. Okay, a lot, a lot worse things have happened than this. And we laugh about this now. Thank goodness. But my wife loves her car. And she wasn't happy either time, the couple or three times, whatever. And so I think about warfare. I, I think I would be no use in warfare. I'd probably roll over my fellow soldiers in the tank or clip them in the back of the head with a bullet. About the only good thing I think I would be for warfare would be maybe spooking behind enemy lines and going to hit their wives' cars with you know, mine, as long as they were standing still. Today we have an instance of what we might call friendly fire. Friendly fire. One apostle rebukes another. Whoa. Wait a minute. Paul and Peter. And, and these are giants in the faith. Titan, Colossus, knights of the faith. They were supposed to work together. Things were supposed to be good. Both men knew the gospel. They knew justification better than you and I. But <clears throat> in the middle of all this, a tense, confusing moment in the church. Friendly fire. It's an example of what happens when the actions of church leaders don't match up with their words. And it's an example of a healthy thing that happens when church doctrine doesn't match up with church practice, it affects doctrinal truth and purity, which happens to make its way into our mission statement as a church, that 
we preach, teach, and share God's word in its truth and purity. And sometimes you might wonder, well, isn't the gospel enough? Why do we need to add its truth and purity? Today shows us why. Why the gospel, yes, generates its own truth and purity, but why that truth and purity has to be in order, has to be in place for the gospel, for the gospel to be understood and trusted. The church says the hard things. We are our brother's keeper, sister's keeper, as the, as the case may be. It's important because what happens next? What then after the friendly fire? What's the outcome? Well, repentance and faith once again. Reconciled relationships, not the least of which is sinners reconciled to their God through the forgiveness that we offer one another. So today I'm really honing in on this attitude that Paul meant to foster in the Galatians as he wrote about this incident in Antioch between himself and Peter. is an attitude that says, if the gospel cuts me, great. Blessed are the gospel wounds on me. Blessed is the friendly fire of gospel truth and purity. That is beloved when it comes my way. When when I'm corrected, when I bleed for the gospel, truth, and purity. This is a good thing. I'll give you a little bit of the setting. Antioch was a city 300 miles north of Jerusalem. We celebrated the festival of St. Barnabas. Maybe you remember that a little bit. Um, a pretty exciting thing about this city was it was the third largest in the whole Roman Empire, and the gospel was beginning to resound. It was beginning to resonate with Greeks. And there was this Gentile ministry burgeoning north of Jerusalem, this distance, and they were making synod-like connections between the two big cities, Jerusalem and Antioch, and new little congregations that were sprouting out all around them. In fact, fact, Antioch was so important, in Acts chapter 13, it becomes the basis for world missions, the commissioning point, the send-off for the gospel to go with St. Paul and Barnabas out into the Mediterranean Sea and into all the known world. This was a pretty special place. And at some point, not only was St. Paul there, but St. Peter came too. Wow, just imagine that. Just imagine if at your church you had not only the man who trudged through Jesus' ministry for three years and, you know, said everything that was on his mind, sometimes good, often not so good. The man who walked on the water with Jesus and could tell about who he was and what he did. More importantly, what Jesus was to him and for all people. But then you also have St. Paul, the one come lately, the apostle who, who was knocked off his high horse after hating the believers and persecuting them, one of the most avid pursuers, maybe the most avid pursuers of, of the Christians in, in violence and blood, putting them to death then becoming the thing that he hated with an encounter with Jesus Christ himself so that he could truly say, I'm an apostle and praise God because now I know what it is to love one's enemies and to spread this gospel that I used to persecute. And both of them, both of these giants of the Christian faith were in the same place at the same time. What could possibly go wrong? Well, at some point... Peter stumbled 
and um, probably right to understand this as a sin of ignorance, not a sin of malice, but it was a very serious sin, and it affected a lot of people. Instead of eating with the Gentiles, instead of following through on that vision that God gave Peter, (laughs) there wasn't any other apostle who had that vision of the sheet, as far as we know, the sheet that was lowered from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals, and God said three times, get up, Peter, kill and eat, despite all of his protests. This was the guy who should have known. You don't need to separate off and follow those Old Testament dietary laws and regulations. You don't need to involve circumcision in the gospel anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. These old covenants have been fulfilled in Christ, along with the moral law, and what's absolute and right is loving God and loving one another. But instead it became like cafeteria cliques where Peter went off with the Jews once again, leaving the Gentiles to wonder, okay, what's wrong with us? Was, was it something I said? Was it the pork on my plate? And because of this separation, it wasn't, it wasn't just the Gentiles who were scratching their head wondering what was going on. It was these Jews who had come in Even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, this synod man, this gospel man fell because the sin of Peter infected him. A good reminder that sin doesn't just stay in one place with one person, but it can spread like gangrene. What were they going to do? Because all of a sudden now they're facing off. The the knight versus the bishop, the the hero of faith versus the other hero of faith, the one who walked with Jesus and was, was there to deny Jesus, but then restored to feed Jesus' lambs by Jesus himself. And the other one who had persecuted so fervently, but now was speaking the truth, speaking the gospel. What happens when this unstoppable force meets this immobile object? What happens then? What, what does this look like? And Martin Luther makes an interesting comment. He says, love gives up everything. Love surrenders everything to to the beloved one, to the neighbor. That's what love does. He says, but faith? Faith doesn't give up an inch. Faith doesn't rest away anything. Faith only clings more tightly to all the benefits that Jesus gives in his gospel. So when love and faith meet in a situation like this, then what happens? Well, I'll tell you. Honest Christian friendship happens. Because it was out of love that St. Paul approached Peter and publicly and said it out loud so everyone could hear it. And it was out of faith that he knew he had to do this so that even Peter's faith could be steered in the right direction, could be steered back on the path of righteousness and everyone else in the whole Antioch congregation. That's what happens when love meets faith. Sometimes Christians must confront one another and be confronted. Sometimes Christians must must say the hard truths in order to keep a brother in order to keep one another from straying, in order to reel in the wandering sheep. Sometimes it's going to look ugly and it's going to get awkward and uncomfortable. And yet, out of love, 
for the truth of the gospel, this is what God calls us to do. Because you get a trusted friend. The thing is, and I don't think I was setting it up falsely, but really, when you look at Peter versus Paul, it really is Peter alongside Paul, and Paul alongside Peter. The wise teacher of old, the wisest, said it like this, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Think about that one. Wounds from a, tr- um, from a friend can be trusted, but enemies multiply kisses. You heard that proverb before? I love that proverb. Because it kind of makes you think about the enemy who kissed the rabbi so that the men who came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane would know just who to arrest. Enemies multiply kisses. You can say all the nicest things to people who are on their way to hell, but it's not going to stop them from going to hell by affirming and approving of what they do. But what about a friend who delivers the law and gospel to you in a moment of uncertainty and doubt, in a sin where you're headed down the wrong path? What then? You can trust that friend. You can trust that friend who speaks clearly and resoundingly of the law of God only to set you on the path towards heaven. And the church must understand this because it doesn't come out clearly in, in the popular presentation of what Christianity is. It certainly doesn't come out this way in the news. It doesn't come out this way in the media. It doesn't come out this way in film or television. It doesn't come out this way because more often than not, people are seeking to justify themselves in their wrongdoing, in their sin, aren't they? And far be it from us to do the same. But you know what happens? We do. We go and we look to be justified for the wrong thing we're doing, and we get upset at the Christian friends who are honest and bold enough to come to us and actually say something. And we nitpick at how they do it, or how... how how their tone or or timbre wasn't quite what we thought it should be if you're really going to approach me about the sin and we start making the conversation about that and we're still avoiding the issue, brothers and sisters, at that point, the issue is sin and salvation. And when your conscience is terrified by the law, if you're wrestling with the judgment of God, the idea is that you go and you seek comfort in the law. But when we use the law around here, it's in order to point to something else. It's in order to point to the gospel promises that come to us from the font, that are fed to us from the altar, that you may look back and say, what I've done is wrong. And I plunge that back into my baptism because I know What comes next is full and free forgiveness and the promises of God that couldn't change even if mountains fell into the sea or the ocean dried up or everything that I knew was torn away from me. My baptism is mine. And Christ's sacrifice is for me. And his life eternal comes to me by faith, the only virtue that's a vessel that receives things from God. And when he starts pouring, as empty as your cup may be, When God starts pouring, he doesn't stop till it overflows because his forgiveness is full and free for nothing. That's the goal 
So when it came to sit down and pen the letter to the Galatians, Paul used this instance in Antioch to highlight what was most important, the gospel, even if that gospel must wound us. Let friendly fire foster an attitude that says, let the gospel wound me. And this is all over the scriptures, by the way. King David said in Psalm 141, do not let my heart turn toward anything evil. Let a righteous man strike me. It is mercy. Let him rebuke me. It is lotion on my head. Or his son Solomon would say, whoever hates correction is brutish. Beastly. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not listen to rebuke. Paul would ask the Corinthians, why not rather be wronged? So choose. Choose your character. Who would you rather be in this setting, in this story? I think a lot of us would love Love to be Paul. Love to be the hero of the day. Love to point the finger at sin and correct a brother. That's where I naturally go. To correct a sister. To stand and be strong and tall firmly on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Because guess what? The gospel was about to slip through the cracks and the whole church at Antioch could have gone crashing down. Because if you don't have Jesus Christ, if you don't have his gospel, if instead you're, you're splitting up into rules and regulations that have nothing to do with salvation, then you're headed straight for damnation. But if I may for a moment advance the case of being Peter. From time to time, it's really important for us to choose the character of being Peter. Because you know your sin. And you know what sin does. And you know without someone to set you on the path to correct you in the right way, like Paul did for Peter, you wouldn't have a trustworthy friend. You might not even have the gospel. To put us on our proper footing again, let it happen. Let the gospel inflict its friendly fire on me. Open my heart today. Be wounded. If the truth must hurt, let it hurt. If the gospel is going to kill, let it kill. Because you know what the gospel kills? It kills our old sinful nature. The part that hurts is going to be the part of us that desires what's wrong. But the part that lives and the part that heals that's going to be the new creation in you. That's going to be the real you. You know what this does, by the way? This lowers these untouchables, these giants of the Christian faith like Paul and Peter to our level, really. It's the same gospel that saved them, that, that you and I hold to, that will save us, that already has saved us into eternity by the blood of Jesus Christ. There wasn't anything special about these men. Okay, we don't want to marginalize their faith, sure enough, but that too was the work of the Holy Spirit. And that too was clinging to the cross of Christ by the grace of the Father. And so there was nothing super extraordinary and, and dependable about who they were. It was the confession of faith that Jesus Christ called the firm foundation on which to build the, the church. Paul would say there's no other foundation than that in 1 Corinthians 3. And you know what else it does? It not only lowers these men to us, but it also raises each and every one of our friendships on epic proportions. 
those little conversations that maybe don't seem so important are actually pretty important. If they have to do with sin, if they have to do with the gospel, if they have to do with telling or being told about what's truly right and what's truly wrong, what's truly going to last in this world and what's just going to go away, if they have to do with the word of God, wow. Man, I tell you, then you are not the pawn anymore on this chessboard. You are the knight. You are the bishop. You are the giant. You are the operative. And it's important to see ourselves in that light. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. They say you are who you really are behind the wheel. Don't they? Have you heard that? Or have you thought that the last time you cut someone off on the road? They, they, they say you are who you really are behind the wheel. There's some truth to that, and, and there's a time for your wife to, to generously so, show some righteous anger and to take some friendly fire um, or, or whoever you may bump into in your driveway. Obviously, don't let that happen. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says you are who you really are in Jesus Christ. Nothing based in your own merits. Nothing based in your own works. There's nothing to hold to in the old laws of circumcision or, or dietary laws or anything. Paul says that's all a shadow of the things that were to come and to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We have more than the shadow of the cross. We have Jesus Christ himself, the body, the reality, the thing that saves. Never let go. Out of love, never stop giving it up. And in the gospel, always hold ever more tightly. And at the end of the day, if the gospel is going to wound me, let the gospel wound me. Blessed is the friendly fire of the gospel in its truth and purity, for there is heavenly treasure. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand.